the story of a boy who dreamed of becoming a man, but dreamed up a monster instead. It has hunted you since the summer of 1994, back when we confessed who we were through mixtapes, when every movie at the video store had dirty heads. You were 13 and thought you knew who you were, only the shadow with too many teeth knew you better. It still does, and it won't stop, not until you come home, back to where it all began. Part cosmic horror, part coming of age story, Dirty Heads is a terrifying read from the author of House of Size, The Fallen Boys, and A Place for Sinners. Out now. Starting Saturday, 11th of September, Season 2 of Author Question Time on Ross Jeffrey's YouTube channel. Join Bram Stoker Award-nominated author Ross Jeffrey alongside co-hosts T.C. Parker and Kev Harrison as they discuss books, writing, and creativity with huge names in horror and dark fiction, like Josh Malaman and Alan Baxter, alongside some of the most exciting new voices on the indie scene, such as Eric LaRocca, Hayley Piper, and Laurel Hightower. Come, bring your questions, join in the conversation. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers, writers, and creators. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode. Just want to remind you that our good friend Michael David Wilson at This Is Horror has a writing and edit, editing consultation service. He has worked with people such as Josh Malman, David Moody. If you want to find out any more information, go to michaeldavidwilson.co.uk slash editing. From the host of This Is Horror Podcast comes a dark thriller of obsession, paranoia, and voyeurism. After relocating to a small coastal town, Brian discovers a hole that gazes into his neighbor's bedroom. Every night she dances and he peeps. Same song, same time, same wild and mesmerizing dance. But soon Brian suspects he's not the only one watching and she's not the only one being watched. They're watching as the Wicker Man meets Body Double with a splash of Suspiria. 
They're Watching by Michael David Wilson and Bob Pastorella is available from thisishorror.co.uk, Amazon, and wherever good books are sold. And welcome to Dead Headspace, a part of Silver Shamrock's HorrorCast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead. Where we... Sorry, guys, my chicken scratch is throwing me off. Um, Would you like me to help you with your name? No, because I was actually going <laughs> to say something else. You got stuck. <laughs> yeah. Where we exhume classic car paperbacks for the new generation with guest hosts for each episode, such as Alexa Chuck Palahniuk, Jonathan Chance, and Chad Lusky. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brian LaFaro. Say hi, Brian. Hello, everybody. And today, this will be our last roundtable episode for season two. We're focusing on self-publishing with Sonora Taylor. Say hi, Sonora. Hello. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. Twice in one month. <laughs> I know. Did you mute, Tyler? <laughs> I, should, I should get a punch card. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler's muted now. Did you say say hello? There you go. I don't know. You were muted there for a second. I don't run this introduction anymore. Uh, and we have Michael Clark. Hello. Hi, Mike. Hello. And we have Nico Bell. Say hello, Nico. Hello. And we have Tyler Jones. Say hello, Tyler. Hello. And uh, for anyone that's new, just join us for this episode or uh, ones where they haven't met any of these guests. They are all returning guests. All you got to do is check out the uh, episode list. So, Brennan, I'm going to throw it to you because this was your idea. I want to hear uh, why self-publishing, where you came up with the thought of this, the guest list, and anything else you can think of, then throw it to whomever you want. Sure. So, I mean, obviously, I have probably the least to say of most of the people here because I have never self-published anything, but I am very interested in that. I feel like it's a really good time to be self-publishing and there is a lot to know about it if you are either new to it or you haven't done it but you're considering it or you're traditionally published and you might like to look at releasing some of your works that way Uh, and we've got four people who have been there done that who are going to have a lot to say um, so I'd, I'd love to throw it to each one of you individually and just give us a, a quick rundown, you know, don't need to go too specific, but a quick rundown of, of your history with self-publishing and Sonora, I'll start with you. Sure. So, um, I started out the gate self-publishing. My first book was a very short, short story collection called the crow's gift and other tales. It was four stories. And that was my, also my first time my first time collaborating with Doug Puller, who does all of my cover art, and he also uh, formats the books for publishing and does the title page illustrations. And uh, my editor Evelyn Duffy also looked at um, also looked at that book. So I've worked with the two of them on all of my self published books since then. Um, I have seven currently, so it's been a good working relationship. Um, I started out, you know, just getting it up on. And then after uh, publishing that one and also publishing my my first novel, Please Give, which I was also working on at the same time, then I looked into uh, paperback from there. And um, I can talk more about like the development journey, either after others go or uh, right now, whichever you'd prefer, because it can get a little long winded. So I just wanted to catch myself before going down that path. (laughs) 
No, I think that's a great introduction, you know, and as far as uh, finding an editor and cover design and deciding on different formatting and finding somebody to help you format it, uh, that's definitely something I want to hear you guys all weigh in on uh, as, as we go on. Um, Tyler, let's throw it to you, your, your introduction, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so years ago, self-publishing used to be seen as sort of the, uh, the failure, wasn't it? In terms of you couldn't get published traditionally, so you're self-published and you're selling your books at farmer's markets. I mean, years ago, that's how it used to be seen. And I, I come from a background in music and playing in bands. So uh, the way I've seen things is always that it's, it's, it's pretty rock and roll to put stuff out yourself. And I, I find it interesting that we, for a while, tended to view books as something that you can't do on your own. You can release music on your own. And that's rock and roll. You could, if you made paintings, you could set up at a farmer's market and sell them. You could try and get them in a restaurant or a gallery. You could put yourself out there and that was cool. But for some reason, books seem to be this thing that if you self-published, um, you, you'd failed somehow. So uh, all that to say, I, I kind of bought into that whole lie of got to get an agent because an agent can sell your book. And the only way to do that is to write a novel to sell. And then you know, good luck getting an agent because that's a long, uh, very difficult process, as I'm sure all of us know to some degree or another. Um, and I just got, I got antsy. I wanted to put work out there. And so that's what led me to self-publishing. And I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll produce work, self-publish it and try and shop novels to agents in the meantime. But at least I'm putting something out there uh, while working on the other stuff. So that's what drew me down that path. And we can talk more about the details later. It de definitely does have that kind of uh, punk rock, punk rock mentality. Um, and you're, you're absolutely right in that. Um, it, it does kind of, there, there's a little bit of that validation aspect to it, you know, that you, it almost feels like you're supposed to have somebody else sign off on your work and say, this is okay. We can put this into a book. But why is it different than painting, than than music, where you can, you know, uh, do it yourself? Uh, yeah. Nico, let's throw it to you. Yeah, so I'm a little new to self-publishing. I self-published an anthology in 2020. No, 2021, this year, long year. And it was my first time jumping into that pool. And I really just wanted to put out an anthology on, yeah, I'm shiver. Vernon's holding it up because <laughs> he's in it. Fabulous. Um, because I wanted an anthology of a certain type of horror that I couldn't find out there. And I was like, well, I can do this. I can put this together myself. And that kind of opened the door for me. And that's where I really love to do. I really love putting it together. Me and Sonora, I'm sure we'll talk about, um, are putting together another anthology that's going to be put out next year. And I can see myself doing more because if there's horror that I want that's not already out there, like why not just meet up with the right people and do it yourself? You know, like who's, who's stopping you? So that was sort of my mentality. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to kind of jump into the self-publishing pool. That's a perfect fucking answer is, is uh, there was a, 
there's, there's an anthology. I want to read these stories and there's no publisher putting this out. Um, and, and like you said, we'll definitely dive in um, to the anthology you two are co-editing. But, you know, if, if you just sit on your thumbs and wait for somebody to put that out, then it, it in all likelihood, it doesn't happen. So, you know, you guys are kind of willing it into the world. That's awesome. Uh, Mike, how about you, man? Similar to Tyler, I I just didn't know what to do. I, I didn't have any connections to anybody, you know, didn't know anybody starting from zero. I'm obviously a middle-aged man. Um, you know, I, I just, I wrote something that I, I wanted to see as a movie or read as a book and um, just threw it out there, basically, just threw it out there and learned as I went and, you know, just fell down the hill, basically, I guess. Um, spent a lot of money doing it, probably too much, and uh, but learned a lot. And thankfully, I still want to write <laughs> after surviving the first few years of, you know, after writing the first one. Uh, I, I just, I like sitting at the keyboard and putting out words. And um, now that I've learned a lot and met a lot of people, um, I have some connections, I guess. Um, hopefully that will, you know, maybe this will become some kind of a retirement career or something like that, you know, or something where I can leave my, my day job a couple years early, you know, that kind of a thing. So, so it's, it's like, a, I guess it's like an expensive hobby for now that, uh, hopefully will reap the benefits later because I invested in myself now. You, you just got to stop sending uh, coffee mugs to people who didn't even read the second book. What, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Bastard. I want to return um, it. He probably put it in the dishwasher, too. <laughs> oh, he's probably drinking out of it right now. <laughs> uh, um, you're talking about so you, Tyler. What, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get a mug. <laughs> I didn't know him then. <laughs> um, so what you're I want to do next it is... <laughs> I want to take us through some uh, individual aspects, um, you know, starting with editing and, you know, say, say whatever, you, whatever you want to share, you know, Mike, you said you, you rolled down the hill, you learned some things, um, what, you know, pros, cons, things you've learned, things you've tried that did work, things you tried that didn't work. Um, so Tyler, I'm actually going to throw it back to you first. Uh, you, you have a manuscript in your hand. You realize that you're, you're not going to, uh, send it to, you know, Simon and Schuster or anything, you're going to have to figure out how to get this thing edited yourself. So take us through that process. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to know a couple people here in Portland who used to work as editors in the comics industry. So they have a pretty, um, pretty solid understanding of storytelling great prose writers as well, but they just happen to work as editors in comics. So I really, I had the benefit of being able to pass along the manuscript to them and get that feedback. Um, I know that, that there are some who have sought out editors. Uh, yeah. So I, I got feedback from, from these friends and then I, I went through the manuscript again and I thought, yeah, it's pretty good with Criterium in particular. So the first novella, um, that I put out last year, last August. Uh, I went through the manuscript, got it edited, had it proofread, and thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to put this up on Amazon. And 
the moment that I started to think of actually sending the manuscript to Scott Cole, who does the interior design for all my stuff, uh, great writer as well. I had this just absolute moment of panic when I got it back because it came, I sent it to him in a word document and that's the only format I'd ever seen it in. And it came back as this formatted thing that looks like a book. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is actually going to be like on paper between covers. Is it good enough? <laughs> you know, did I go through it enough? Oh man. Oh man. And then I started, these sentences started leaping out at me. Like, did I actually write that? Did, I mean, that came through my head and I typed that out and I thought it was good. And I'm about to put this and I sent it to Scott. Like, ah. So I had this, this moment of panic to, that I, I visualized the thing existing in the world and everyone seeing what I couldn't see, which was that it was awful and terrible. And it was full of flaws that I was too blind to see because I didn't have any pressure. There's no, there's no agent looking over it. There's no professional editor or publisher. There's no professional proofreaders. You're just doing this all on your own. And so it, again, back to the music thing, it reminded me of hearing a demo and thinking that the demo is really good. And in the music industry, producers actually have this thing called demoitis, where you can listen to a demo so many times that you think that's how the song should sound. And you're resistant to when someone outside the band, like say a producer, tries to make it better because you're attached to this uh, inferior version and you can't even see what it could become. And so I had this fear that I had a form of demoitis in a way. You know, that I had only seen this thing and thought the demo was good. But when I actually considered it being out in the world as a book that people would read, that they were going to see what, what I couldn't. What was the question again? <laughs> got, like, way off track. <laughs> the question was editing. the editing process. How much or how little you want to say about it? <laughs> well, it was about editing, like your editor. But yeah, yeah. just to comment on what you were saying, like, I didn't get the demo-itis till like after three books. It, it, it just hit me at a different time. I was just cocky about the first three books. And then, you know, you get a couple negative reviews and then start a new story or something. And then I then it was just, I don't know. I, I got exactly what you felt just later at a later stage. So mm-hmm. I don't know, just interesting. And um, I don't want to cut anybody off here but my experience with a an editor was um i, I there's a website called readsy.com and i was doing everything through that didn't know anything about twitter didn't know anything about you know fiverr or upwork or anything like that and um i i started looking for editors and i see that some of them want two cents a word blah 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 at the time my first book was like 108,000 words and it shouldn't have been and I'm thinking, I don't have that kind of money to blow on an editor that I don't even know, you know, like, I, what am I buying? It's like, you don't know what the quality of this person's work is. They could just be throwing a number up there and, and getting it. So I found a, another editor, you know, kind of like look for an affordable one, ended up paying about 900 bucks and we didn't cut anything out of the story. And um, I never had an editor again after that, <laughs> through the first three books, I'm still constantly tweaking what i do um but i do hope to have an editor in the future like by going through um you know the traditional way of publishing 
Sonora, I want to throw it to you because you've got a little bit of a different experience. You have a very long-standing relationship with an editor. I do, and um, I I was lucky in that uh, Ev- Evelyn, my editor, we were friends before she became my editor. We actually met through, um, at the time, her girlfriend, now her wife, uh, went to school with me in my same graduate program. And, um, you know, I met her when the four of us went to a Renaissance fair together. And, you know, the four of us would hang out, the four of us being them and um, my now husband. And um, <laughs> the first time, though, I, I, the reason I mentioned that is because the first time Evelyn and I hung out alone, we both wanted to see uh, Elton John, but neither of our spouses were interested because they don't have taste. So <laughs> at least when it comes to music. Music. When it comes to spouses, obviously they have amazing <laughs> taste. So, so, uh, so we were hanging out. The show um, was downtown, and we were hanging out at a now closed bar called Bar Louie. We started talking about our jobs, and I found out that she did freelance editing. And I'm thinking like maybe a year or two after that, um, I started writing more seriously, and I was thinking to myself, um, well, I'd like to do something with this other than write it. You know, I want to put it out there. So what should I do? And so um, the four of us were having dinner and um, I asked Evelyn what she thought. And because I knew she had experience in the publishing industry as well as with her uh, freelance editing. And, you know, she she actually recommended self-publishing to me. Um, You know, it's just that she thought it would work well. And you know, I asked her if she'd be willing to, um, like, if I could hire her to edit my work. You know, obviously, we work together as a editor, author. You know, it's not just two buddies reading each other's work. But um, she has done, like, an amazing job editing my work. She not only goes through and does line edits, but she will make um, structural recommendations as well, usually in a memo that she sends uh, that kind of just goes through her thoughts on the work and gives advice and ideas and um it's always just been very helpful so yes you when i'm self-publishing a project i always talk to her uh first and thus far for self-publishing no one else has edited my work obviously i've had different editors when i've submitted short stories to anthologies or uh that are published through independent publishers it sounds like a uh Painstaking, well, painstaking is probably not the right word, but an arduous process. Um, so, um, do you feel good when your books go to print? Like, like you hit, unturned every stone and like you're putting your best. Yeah, stuff out there? I mean, it's definitely been um, been better uh, with each book. You know, getting a little less nervous each time, but I'm always going to be kind of nervous, wondering, well, what will people think of this? You know, but I do feel a little better when you know than if I were just putting it out there without someone looking at it first because Evelyn is very honest with me she she's not mean but she will tell me straight up if something should not be published or if it's just not ready or what needs to change and so um that gives me definitely a little more confidence putting it out there um because she's pretty much always my first reader um Mm -hmm. with the exception of the most recent collection because in that one uh since Violet did the forward she was the first reader so that's excellent how many times Uh, have you been totally uh has she told you you shouldn't like publish that you know um with let's see there were um there were 
three short story collections and each one had one story that she said wasn't ready to print. So probably three times, usually with the books, they've just had to be, you know, edited, but, but, or like, you know, maybe you should take this out or maybe you should add something in, but yeah, there's only been, I think three stories that she was like, this isn't ready or, (laughs) or she had so many, I mean, she didn't say in so many words, but she, she'll say like needs more time in the oven. So, uh, Nico, obviously your experience is a little different. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot or jump over you. Do you have anything you'd like to throw in here? Um, I am an editor. I do freelance editing. I judge contests. I feel really confident in my ability to cut out a lot of stuff from stories. I feel like the people I write with can certainly testify that I'm not afraid of like red lines. (laughs) Um, I will say editors are expensive. I am expensive. My friends in the editing world are expensive. And the only reason we are is because we spend a lot of time on your story. Like a good editor, we love storytelling. We are going to polish that to perfection. So it is expensive. Um, I would never edit my own stuff. Like if I I have a short story collection that I can't find a home for, and I was thinking of self-publishing it next year, I will hire an editor to do that. Um, And I will, you know, bite the bullet and pay that price because I do feel like it is really important. Um, But but yeah, um, I have a great time editing. (laughs) I enjoy it. (laughs) I remember when Brennan was tell me your edits how they were coming in and for the shiver anthology and that was the first time to my recollection when an editor seemed to get him as a writer because we all (laughs) i'm sure we've all experienced it there's and no shade on anyone in particular but there's some editors that kind of i had one that i asked the publisher i'm like do i am i getting edits and he said no it's all groovy and we i mean like i I want that. I'm sure you guys want that. How can we get it better? But the first time I ever kind of heard Brennan talk in that light about an editor, it was you, Nico. And, um, I, you know, I read the book and it's it shows it shows that you care. Well, thank you. I definitely cut all of Brennan's first paragraph, if I recall correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. But by the time you were done slashing it up, I couldn't even keep the title. Um, But no, no, I yeah. Well, first of all, I'd I'd point out that you were actually the first editor I worked with. I don't think I'd ever had anybody edit my work before. That makes sense. It came back. It came back dancing in red, but I'll tell you, it, it, you know, it was warm. It was, well, it was cold weather horror, but it was, it was warm, you know, uh, and kind. And, you know, I didn't feel dejected or anything like that. You know, it was, it was, I've told you this before. We talked about it when you were on your solo episode, you know, you were a pleasure to work with and I do it again, obviously. So I would say I would hope that people will find yeah editors that you know challenge them without crushing their soul. I have had editors crush my spirit to the point where I just shut everything down and cry all night and say I'm done with it. And no editor should make you feel that. That is an editor on a power hungry strike that just shouldn't even be in the industry. So find a good one. There's plenty of us out there. Yeah, that's yeah, what and- that was my what my fear was. I just didn't know who to talk to, you know, and what I was going to get. Like, I didn't know what I was even shopping. You can get samples. Absolutely. Ask for a sample. If it's, they should do a free sample between like 500 and a thousand words. And then, 
yeah, absolutely ask. If they won't give you a sample, then maybe they're not the right editor for you either. <laughs> Didn't know that either. <laughs> absolutely ask for a yeah. sample. Yes. Okay. You're here to learn, Mike. Oh, um, I'm here. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, if, I could, if I could say something ahead. to what Nico mentioned about um, editors being expensive but worth it, um, I, I wrote a novel called Midas that has not yet been published. And that was one I was uh, sending to agents. And I believed in that book enough to where I, I did hire an editor, but um, I, I met the, the writer, his name is uh, Joshua Moore. Have any of you guys ever read his work? He's phenomenal. He's a novelist and memoirist. And uh, he's just a really, really gifted, gifted storyteller. And, um, he went over the manuscript with me and what he did is what Nico's describing where more than just redlining things, but, but working on the actual story with me and the emotion, the emotional beats and the, the arc of it, the narrative more than just, yeah, this sentence doesn't work that let's move this word here. It's actually working on the act, the whole story itself, you know, the ins and outs of it, all the details of it. And that was that was a learning process because I'd never worked with somebody on a manuscript like that. And I not only learned how to better tell a story, but it made me more confident the next time I went to write something, I took all the lessons I learned from him and applied it to the next thing. So it was well worth it in, in more than one way. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So uh, I have, I mentioned before, I have never self-published anything. I'm very open to it, but I've got a lot to learn. That's part of the reason I made you all come on here to, you know, just inform me so I can do better things. Um, but Patrick has self-published before, and uh, I believe uh, he had some um, interesting experiences with editing. If you want to get thrown under the bus and share that real quick. Yeah. I mean, I don't talk about it a lot because I, I didn't enjoy the experience. It wasn't the editor. He was excellent. Um, I don't know if anyone knows a guy named Todd Larson, um, but I don't even remember the website I was looking for. I was very new. Um, it was kind of fresh into when my wife and I started dating. Uh, a lot of new things were happening. I, I, I just realized like the year prior, I wanted to be a novelist and um I just joined Twitter and I don't know if you got, you guys probably know him. Duncan Ralston helped me with this too, but he wasn't the editor. The guy Todd Larson helped. Um, the way I picked him out again, I don't remember what the websites were, um, but I reached out, I gave him a two page sample, picked a group of editors that seemed interested. And the first, I had a set of questions before I sent him that sample just to see what they could bring to the table and if we got if they kind of got what I was going for and um there was this one person that asked me my very first question was do you like horror because like it's a horror book the story is novella and um if they didn't what's the point of working with them is how I thought um the approach would be and one guy asked me uh if I enjoy watching people or reading about people suffering um so I didn't talk to that editor again and eventually found Todd and uh, it cost me a little under 300 for 20,000 word ish novella. Uh, he went through content, um, the grammatical stuff, but 
I didn't enjoy the experience because for me personally, I just kind of want to write it and just be the, be the writer. Uh, there's a shitload of work that goes into self-publishing and I don't want to do that for every book I'm going to work on. Um, the thing that <laughs> I don't know if you guys felt this way, but when I finished it, I felt really excited. It was on Amazon, uh, Kindle. And I just remember my wife and I went to the liquor store right after it was uploaded. And I was, <laughs> I don't know, I like such an asshole, but I was thinking these motherfuckers don't know they got a published author around just walking <laughs> through the aisles. Like, it's so stupid. There's so many of them. That's embarrassing. Nico is making the perfect face. It is. I, I just had to put that out there. No one gave a shit. It's like a beta says, no one gives a shit. You have to make people care about it. But um, basically I pulled it two years ago because I think it's, um, it's a rookie attempt at a novella. Um, unfortunately, Goodreads doesn't, doesn't give a shit about you pulling it from everywhere else. It's still on there under uh, Patrick McDonough. Uh, it's 2014. Um, and it's it's got potential with the elements involved in it, but it was just, I don't want any of you reading it because I think it's, it's shitty. So that, that's my experience. I didn't enjoy it overall. Um, that's why I never pursued it. I don't know what else to add to that. Um, Brennan. You had a question, and I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry no, you had fine. a question, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, no, you know he's that's his default is apologizing to me. Um, <laughs> so let's let's talk about cover stuff. Um, you know, sure. we've said it about eight bazillion times on this show that you can say don't judge a book by its cover, but we're gonna. So uh, you better have a good one on there. So um, Sonora, let's start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about cover design uh, across your uh, span of seven. Yeah, so um, like I mentioned, I've worked with the same cover artist and um, Evelyn, one of her first pieces of advice Evelyn gave to me when I mentioned I wanted to maybe publish the short story, she said, hire a good cover artist. You have to have a good cover. You, you cannot just like slap something together and do it yourself. And, you know, if you've ever seen my attempts at Photoshop, even to this day, <laughs> you can see why it's it's not a good idea for me to put something together. So um, I used to actually work in the same cubicle as Doug Puller. We worked together in the same office. I was doing email and he was doing graphic design. So I asked him like, you know, hey, I'm thinking about publishing. Like, do you um, do you do freelance cover work? Like, do you think? And he was like, yeah, I think we could work something out. So we like, you know, talked about um like pricing and the work that would be involved. And I'll be honest, when I thought he was going to design a cover for the crow's gift, I thought maybe he was going to take like a stock photo of some birds flying over a field and like put the title over it. But he got back to me with a sketch, like fully illustrated cover that is on there now. I mean, I can't, you know, pull it up like right here. And unfortunately the book is too far away from me. I should have brought it, but um, it's just this beautiful cover where there's like a crow on a tree over the field. And he like 
made it so that the tree branches spelled out the name of the title and and I'm and uh, I'm thinking, oh man, <laughs> like I got I got a, you know a really nice cover here. And so as such, you know, I asked him to do it, do the cover for my next novel i asked for uh and like i mentioned he's done all the all the covers for the um for my uh work since then the only exception is that um for my when i released a standalone short story it is better to want uh cassie daly illustrated that for me um and yeah i've mostly gone with illustrated book covers i do think that um they look very nice i love seeing like the unique artwork involved and i love seeing what uh doug does like when i send him the manuscript and send him ideas for like how to put together the cover um you know just what he comes up with what he draws us working back and forth together um i will say for anyone listening and thinking about getting into it that if you hire an illustrator um that will probably cost more than than someone doing a graphic design cover i mean i can't pretend to know all the costs involved in that but if you're hiring an illustrator, just know and respect that you're asking them to completely do it by hand. And so, you know, expect to pay for that. But the advantage of that is you have a cover that's unique to you and looks really beautiful. And it's very eye catching, assuming you have hired someone who does great illustration work. And I would hope that you looked at your, their portfolios before you, <laughs> before you paid them. So <laughs> one would think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tyler, same question. Um, and actually one thing I'd love to have you touch on, maybe I'm mistaken here, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you recently uh, reissued expanded editions, uh, did you have different, uh, even if it was just back cover artwork for the hardcovers versus the paperbacks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, I so did. take us through all that. All of it. All of okay. it. Front to back. <laughs> Well, like Sonora is saying, I, I think covers are incredibly important, I, especially nowadays because you got people looking on their phones on Amazon. So you've got these just shrunken little images. Um, and I think it, it's important to have something that stands out, um, something that you're proud of. The, Patrick, with, with what you were talking about putting out a, a book back in 2014, um, I think that is one of the dangers of self-publishing is that you can put things out and you can put together a cover on your own and you can just, I paid for it and have it out there. Oh, <laughs> and I did the font though. So right on. It's not very good. It's, it looks Photoshopped as Sonora would say. Someone, I, someone I needs to paint. put together a, like a coffee table book of the worst self-published book covers. Yes. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember all, the one I saw. That. I still remember the one I saw like on the ads that Kindle pulls up and it was like comic sans font on the title and like images all over. But I tell you, for some reason, this had like thousands of reviews, but that is an exception, not the rule. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Tyler, just to piggyback real quick off of the time period to 2014. I mean, it's not even 10 years after. I first did that, but it was, it was still different. It was, um, social media was different. Everything wasn't 
you know, think about it. Back in 2014, we had cell phones, but it, it wasn't like it is now. I mean, um, yeah, I think YouTube didn't even have ads at that point. It wasn't all about. Uh, it seemed more fun back then. Maybe I'm romanticizing it. I really can't remember in depth how it was back then, but it seems like everything's just so fast paced nowadays. Yeah, for sure. Brennan, I'm going to uh, address your question. I'm just going to grab something here real quick. You're probably, Patrick, romanticizing uh, MySpace and the drama of deciding who was in your top eight. <laughs> it's tough. So, Brennan, uh, in answer to your question, so this is the original cover of Criterium. And um, that was, like Sonora, I, something I sketched out and sent to the artist, um, David Mack, and he did a phenomenal job. And then when I had the opportunity to um, re-release the books with a uh, new novella and to do them in hardcover, I thought, I'm a book nerd. I love covers. I love spines. I love the layout. I just think they're, they're beautiful objects in addition to the, the work that's inside. So I thought it'd be cool to do something uh, slightly different for the hardcover editions. So um, I just took the original image and flipped it on its side, like zoomed in. So I love the alt stuff. That's so yeah. cool. Thank you. And I did that for all of them. Uh, just some variation, like this is the original. This cover I actually did on my own. And you can kind of tell because it's really simple. And that was that was a financial decision because I released this um, two months after I released Criterium. And so I had just broke the bank already on Criterion, but I wanted to put this out. So I thought, well, I'll just do something really, really simple. And then for the hardcover, I just inverted the colors just to make it cool. Um, but yeah, the covers, man, I think the covers are just, and I'm with Sonora. I like, I like the illustrations. I think they're really, they can be um, bold and like she mentioned, unique. You're not going to end up with stock images on that are on your book that are also on someone else's book. Uh, like for uh, Almost Ruth, I had um, Gemma Moore paint the cover. She did just a phenomenal job. And I was really uh, specific about the colors. I, I don't know why, but I wanted, I just kept seeing pinks and purples. I just thought it would pop. And thankfully my wife was kind enough to be the cover model. <laughs> it's a cool cover, man. She's a good artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, a self-published author too. Unfortunately, yeah. it's three a.m. in where she is, so she couldn't join us. Well, yeah, she's also uh, what was it with Angry Robots, which I don't know where they fall under. Honestly, I, I I don't know the difference between some indies and some traditionals. Some indies seem massive, but it's a big publisher. Uh, that she just yeah, hooked up with. yeah, but she knows her stuff about self-publishing inside and out. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and then the last one um, for the other new book, Enter Softly, um, I had a guy named Ryan Mills do the cover for this. And uh, he just did such a phenomenal job on the back cover that I just decided to do it without text, even on the paperback, which is what's really cool. Another cool aspect about self-publishing is if you pick up any paperback at a bookstore, you're going to see a bunch of text on the back. And when I saw his art, I was originally intending to put text. I just thought, you know what? I don't want to. And I don't have to because I'm putting it out myself. I can just let the art stand. Like everybody's reading the description on Amazon anyway. 
you know, if that's where you're purchasing it. So does it have to be on the back? Right or wrong, that's a decision that we can make when we're putting it out ourselves. We can make artistic decisions that feel right and maybe is not the industry standard. But I I felt strongly about that decision. And once I got the books in hand, it just seemed so right. So that's another really cool aspect that I love about self-publishing is that that freedom to do things. Um, if it fails, it's all on you, but you have the freedom hmm. to do it. The complete and utter creative control for better yeah. or worse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Nico with, uh, with, with shiver, um, I think you had that. I think the uh, cover was, was it Rooster Republic that did it? It was. So it was. what was your process for, for getting one on there? Well, I can not visualize my work into a single image. That is not something I excel at. And so cover art, I knew coming into it was going to be an issue for me. I didn't even know what to say to them. So I literally wrote an email and I was like, look, this is how much money I want to spend. I want it to be something cold and spooky. And he was like, I gotcha. He did a draft. (laughs) It was that draft. It's the exact cover art. I was like, you nailed it. Beautiful. Perfect. And that's how it came to be. And I I don't know if you felt this, Sonora, but I gave you a lot of leeway with like how we came up with a cover for ours as well. I think I even told you like, this is not where I shine. (laughs) Coming up with cover art is not. I think I remember asking, like, you know, do you want color scheme or like, what are you thinking? And and like, and then I was just like, okay, well, I figure if she really doesn't like something, she'll let us know in the sketch period. Like, yeah, so. I have no original thoughts to purchase in that. I was like, give it to an artist; they know what to do. And that's how it came to be, Brennan. <laughs> was that Don Noble for Shiver? Yes. Yes. I think, I think that he loved working with me because I literally gave him three words to work with. I mean, what artist wouldn't want as little direction as possible for as little amount of pay possible to make a cover (laughs) art. So I I really think I'm like the key customer for, for cover artists out there. That is well said. Uh, I I love, I don't know what to say. I I just want to say, uh, I love Don. He's, I, do love, I love it. I love, I love their work. I found it because I was looking at book covers that I loved and like 90% of them are from them. So I was mm. like, yeah, I definitely want to do something with you. So yeah, no, they're great. No, they Nicholas, were great. Nicholas Day does them too. I don't know if anyone else um, that works with them does it, but I thought it was mainly Don. Well, he was fantastic and patient and like a little artistic angel for me. He was great. I loved him. I would work with him again. I don't know if he'd work with me again, but I would work with him again in a heartbeat. Mike, I'm going to jump to you, buddy. Uh, You and I talked a few weeks ago about your, for this episode about your, it's not Excel spreadsheet, but I guess, well, a spreadsheet um, for your finances that has to do with your trilogy. Do you mind telling us about that? Yeah, it's embarrassing to be honest with you. Yeah. No, like I, I've made this I, I have a job where I I don't make a certain amount. I, I work on commission, I have different seasons. Um, it's very hard to like budget what you're gonna what goes in, what goes out. So at the end of the first eleven months of of uh public self publishing. I, I had to figure out where all the money w- went. Basically, I'm not a rich man, uh, middle class. 
I was lucky enough that both of my kids, uh, one of them went into the army. I didn't have to pay for expensive college for that. Um, and my daughter went into a dental uh, to be a dental assistant. But anyway, I made this uh, sheet with just to try to figure out where everything was going and, and what was good and what was bad. And the only reason I'm sharing this first 11 months with you is it's like a cautionary tale in many ways. Um, I think that's probably my purpose here is just to tell you like uh, what to be careful of. I know I don't have to tell you folks because you've already been there, but if anybody watching this, um, there are just, there, there's uh, basically at the end of this first 11 months, I spent almost $17,000 and uh, oh my gosh, are you yeah. okay? Like, <laughs> That's why I tell you. Oh my gosh. Bit. Where did the money go, Mike? Well, you know, I are you okay? every single dollar. <laughs> you need to go fund me? Are you okay? I'll do it. Sure. No. <laughs> I don't think oh, he's like, going to run a Every single man. dollar that I spend on this is something that I would write off for taxes. So like if I um, built a website for $2,000, okay. you know, that's part of it. If I uh, subscribe to the Nightworms, um, you know, uh, book package or any book I buy at a convention or whatever, but I didn't go to a convention this year. You know, this is all I'll tell you some of the the big screw ups was like um, they tell you there's a book. There's a a group on uh, Facebook called uh, 20 Books to 50K. I don't know if you heard of that. And I, I went into that and I'm listening to all these self-published authors about basically, you basically, you got to write, 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 crank out the books, get it out there and then advertise on Amazon with keywords and all this stuff. So I got talking to this one guy and um, this guy writes a lot more than I do, like way more words. I, I even saw him on, um, I don't know if you heard of Mark Dawson. He does like a self-publishing course and everything while well, he was on his show. But his name is James Rosone. And uh, he's like, what you do is you go to the top 100 of your category and you write down all the titles of those books. And then you write down all of the author's names. And those are all keywords and you enter them all in there. So I, I, I'm mining keywords like you wouldn't believe. I got like 3,000 keywords for And I'm nobody knows who I am. I, mean, I have one, three books right now, but at this time I have like one. And <laughs> too early to advertise, basically. But I got 3,000 keywords all pointing to my book and people are clicking, but they're not buying. So it starts off slow and uh, like <laughs> May, $7.55, June, $326, what? July, 328. Okay. Then I skipped a September, 593, October, five. I'm, I'm shutting down keywords like you wouldn't believe. Like, oh my God. Uh, this guy, you know, 57 clicks and zero sales. He's out, you know, that kind of thing. So that was a big, that was 3000 bucks right there. Just like stupid stuff. And I know people um, and I've heard of people. And I think Chad Lutsky is one and um, uh, Jason Brandt too, that they do this and they, they learned it from friends, you know, like, I think you really, you really need your handheld to, to, to do these Amazon keywords. I think Sonora has some friends too, that, that, that knows how to do, how to do this, but it, it's a real, it's a science. And, and Chad was saying that you really got to stay on top of it. It's like a chore. It's a job. So that was, anyway, that was one of them. Um, anytime I buy author copies or mail, mail books to somebody, you know, I, you're, you're first, first time out there postage is a 
you know, is a is a B. And uh, the, and you know, Amazon doesn't sell them to you for cheap. I paid six hundred dollars to a consultant off of that Reedsy website that was used to be in the publishing industry. Just you know, I just didn't know anything. So there's a lot of stuff in here. Uh, the nine hundred bucks on the editing, which you know, just I didn't know who who it was. I still don't know who they were really. I mean, I I do I know the name and everything, but I don't know what it did. Um, I did a bunch of Goodreads giveaways, and they cost one hundred nineteen dollars a piece. Um, 300 bucks for ISBN numbers. I could go down the list, but I don't know if this is boring or not. But if you want to ask me specific questions about it, um, I did you I buy those get... packages from like um, Publishers Weekly or like you buy like $700 like and they put your book on NetGalley, you know, those type of packages? Not quite, but there was something I did where I paid 400 bucks for them to review it. And then mm-hmm. it came back okay. And it was just, I don't think, you know, I got one review on Amazon from them. And, you know, it wasn't quite, um, what's the Kirkus reviews? or It wasn't like that, but it was still was 400 bucks, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I bought a course from, it's called Your First 10,000 Readers, which was $59 a month for, you know, a year. Um, postage is a killer. I, I bought these. 72 mugs <laughs> that this was the one of the positive parts like i think that if you're going to promote your book um and i would do this again like maybe not mugs but find something that you like that 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 like my sister bought me this batman mug for christmas one year and it's it's huge and i don't know what you have for mugs in your house but the typical one is like an 11 ounce mug and you fill it with coffee and then there's no room for milk, you know, that kind of thing. So I I fell in love with this Batman mug and I'm like, what would, wouldn't, wouldn't be cooler than giving away this mug or get attention than give a mug away. It's gigantic and they're going to use it every day. It's not a shot glass, you know, something like that. You're not drinking on Monday morning. And I got a lot of attention out of this mug. It, It was 72 mugs were like 400 bucks. And it was about 10 bucks a piece to mail them out. Mm -hmm. But I think that was worth it. Um, What I would do going going forward, though, is and what I've been doing is this T-shirt here is a a jockey brand, like moisture wicking T-shirt. I don't wear cotton ones anymore. So what I do now is I wait for like jockey to have a 30% off sale and I buy a ton of shirts. And when my next book comes out, I'm going to silkscreen those babies with the cover on it and mail them to the people that are going to reviewing them to, to review them. So these are like products that I really like. You know, I like a big mug. I like this T-shirt. I, it made me stop wearing cotton ones. And if you're looking for a gimmick to get attention, find something that you like and, you know, find a way for it not to break the bank. I use my... I have a discover card. I get cash back. I buy shirts with it, you know, that kind of thing. So just little odds and ends. Any more questions about this spreadsheet? Like, do you want to know more about that or? I'm just thinking they don't call you the king of swag for nothing. (laughs) Well, I always forget the little uh, flies that come in the package as well with the uh, books. Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, I going back to like swag and, and, uh, the book covers and the package itself that you mail out. I always loved um, 
designing the cover and and the title and putting together a nice package that is a in the end it's a piece of art you know it's like when you go to the apple store and you buy an iphone they give you this bag with a rope that ties it closed and everything and then you open up the iphone and it's just packed perfectly and the box is like better than it should be i just like that kind of touch to, to yeah. things that makes me think of clash books i know audio listeners you can't see it it's you know it, it's nothing crazy uh they send you at least the two books i got from them a bookmark this is clash and then it's nice wrapping with a sticker with the publisher's name on exactly it. it's like it's a personal touch yeah. well, plus it's like cross-marketing like if you send that to someone who has does book reviews on instagram tiktok they'll do like an unveiling and then your book gets a little mm. marketing boost as well because that's something even if you're not self-published, just as a writer, you want to find ways to market your book as inexpensively as possible so everybody benefits from. So you can team up with other artists, whether they do bookmarks or whether they do journals and stuff like that and do cross promotions and, you know, things like that. So there's ways to do it, you know, to to work with people um, to get out, you know, really nice packages to people who can help promote your book and everyone benefits you know this isn't specifically for self-publishing and tyler if you want to say pass understood but i'm wondering even guys in chuck Palahniuk's position does he have to do any promotional stuff for his upcoming books is that is that something that helps benefit him because once you reach a certain uh point in your writing career Part of me wonders if you need to put much effort in. And that sounds silly to say out loud, but I'm just curious. Yeah. I can I can share a little bit of what he's told me, but we're get with what Mike started and what Nico's talking about as well. It kind of gets us into the uncomfortable aspect of self-publishing, doesn't it? The thing that we're not very good at typically. Um, we can write a book, we can put it out there. The promotion part of it is really tricky i think and there's no i who knows how to do it perfectly well i i don't know there's no way to measure results for 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 whatever you do you know that just yeah exactly exactly and into to patrick's question the the expectation is still there i think now more than ever so um one thing that that chuck has told me that it frustrates him is that in this day and age that the author is expected to do a lot of promotion. They're expected to book podcasts, to get interviews, and he just wants to write. And that's the way it was for a long time when he first published Fight Club. And so it really, it it's shifted. So you have someone like him who was used to this old way of doing things where you had a marketing department, you had PR people, and they you you went on the interviews they told you to go on. You went on the shows they told you to go on, that kind of thing. You were told where to go and steered in those directions. And now all that expectation is falling on him and others as well. So there, the, the, it doesn't go away, it appears. I mean, from what I can tell, my vantage point, even as you get more successful, even if you're traditionally published, you still have to do a lot of that legwork on your own, it seems. Yeah, because like Stephen King, um, I'm, he's in the rarest of camps, but I mean, even he's on Twitter. Um, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with that. He he truly loves writing and talking of the craft, but 
you got guys like um let's see Clyde Barker and Robert McCann jump to mind right away. They don't run any of their own social media. Uh, even though Clive's kind of coming back, Robert McCammon is still putting out new books and don't seem in anything. Um, and part of me wonders, even though he's come out with some of the biggest books in the horror field in the 80s and 90s, um, would he be more recognizable to the general public? Would he have more film adaptations or options? Uh if he was more active or at all. So, yeah, I mean, it's not self-publishing, but it's stuff that I think about, and I'm I'm sure others do too. So, How many you. people, though, are in this Twitter horror community, though? Like, like, I don't think it's that many. Like, look at the followers of the leaders of this community. Like, let's say Paul Tremblay. <clears throat> I think it's like he's got like 20,000 followers or something like that. Some of those people have got to be movie people because he's, you know, got deals in the works and that kind of a thing. I'm not sure how many Josh Mellerman has. Um, I don't know. Sadie Harvin has about 10,000 or maybe more now. No, she's almost at 20, man. It's crazy. Is she? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, who has the most in in, the, in this community? It's about 20, I think, or maybe say 30. Well, well are we... Should... Well, Gisha Grice has 50,000, but he's also, well, Gisha Grice, he is a Canadian, First Tribes. Um, I apologize for butchering that, but I'm not even going to say his tribe name because I, I can't remember it. It's on my head, yeah. but um, he's a Canadian, was a journalist, uh, well-liked journalist um, for his area. So maybe that has something to do with it, but. My point is, though, like we're not going to get rich off of being the star of the horror community kind of a thing. Yeah. Like we need to, we need to think outside the box. We need to like somehow hit the mainstream outside of the horror community, cross over into something else. Um, just, you know, trying to be the big fish in a small pond is not going to um, pay the bills. I don't think really, you know, it's not going to make you rich. It's if that's what you want. Um, I know we, we all write cause we like to write and love, you know, love what we do. But if we're talking about, you know, the old ways and Chuck Palahniuk and all that stuff and, and going on, you know, good, the TV shows and all that stuff. I don't know. People don't read as much anymore. They're on their phones. And, um, I don't know. I think, I just think we have to think outside the box to get outside this little 20, 30,000 horror community group to yeah. to hit it big yeah yep. i like the challenge though i know a lot of self-publishers don't like doing marketing a lot of indie writers don't like marketing but i love marketing i think it's so much fun to get out there and connect with people and it, it's it's just a fun challenge to see like how you can present yourself to people to get them to connect with them because that's what we're doing we're storytellers mm -hmm. we're connecting with people and most of our books have a universal truth i mean that's what makes a story so whether i'm writing about a croissant chasing a teenager down the hallway in my book, Food Fright, that's my nice plug Great there. fucking book, by the way. Great <laughs> book. There's a universal truth of, like, trying to fit in as the underdog. Like, you know, so, like, I do think we have the potential as self-published and indie authors to cross over those bridges. But it is hard. Like, don't make any illusion. It is hard. But I love, I mean, I really enjoy the challenge. I think all of us have it in us to 
you know, jump that bridge and figure it out. So. Yeah, me too. Like, that's why that's why I'm still doing it. You know, like, I, yeah. I want to figure that part out as much as I want to write a good book. You know, well, look, kinda... Chuck Palahniuk in one of his latest um, promotions was giving away severed arms, like for the first hundred people who like, <laughs> I was so close to getting a severed arm. I tell you, that's the king of <laughs> swag is, right there. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But can you imagine how much that would cost a ship for like someone like us, like to ship a severed arm? But like, you know, so just thinking like, how can we connect this? What can be fun? Oh. And then less about like the horror and more about like, what's your book about? It's about love. It's about betrayal. It's about, you know, and that's, you know, something as self-published writers, I hope we can all tap into so we can sell our premises. And then, you know, the guts and gore kind of come around, come second. Speaking of gore. <gasps> ah. oh, an arm. Oh, it's like, I can almost touch it. Can almost touch it. Oh, we're going to be, be best friends, Tyler. Hi, we're going to be best friends. <laughs> Audio listeners, Tyler's be- holding up a severed hand. I'm going to be using this throughout the interview now. Yeah, I think it's real. Wave goodbye with it. So did he, I know, I know, you know, him in person, but for those that don't know, that's the reason why um, I asked Tyler, he was a student of Chuck still is, but he's friends with him too, which by the way, for those that don't know, he's the one that graciously introduced us to Chuck. Um, Have to forever give you credit, sir. But back to the hand thing of one question. And then Brennan, please take over or whoever take over. Uh, did he mail those out to people not in a uh, local area? Yeah. I mean, I know that it was a giveaway. So like anybody, I mean, Tyler, excuse me, sorry. You may know mm-hmm. Chuck, but like I am his number one fan. So if you'll just, thank you. <laughs> See, there was a giveaway. <laughs> so, and it was not, like, you know, nationwide. So anybody could have gotten a severed arm. I'm just wondering like if... <laughs> When you're through the post office, I know that they scan everything. So I'm just wondering the person that saw that, like an x-ray or whatever, I want to I want to know what they were thinking. Tell you what, Tyler, you send me your your autographed severed arm through the post office and I'll I'll come back on. I'll let you all know how it went if I got called in or anything. And just to be safe, I'll keep it. And that way we won't have to go through the ordeal again and it'll be fine. Okay. Okay, you have to send me an autographed copy of Food Fright, though. Oh, yeah, those are totally equal. (laughs) That should be a movie. It'd be funny. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Sorry, this is like the Chuck (laughs) fan Real quick, Nico, when's the sequel coming out? (laughs) Oh, my gosh, that would be a lot of fun to write a sequel. Maybe one day. I want to make it into a screenplay, actually. So um, one day that will be a screenplay, and we'll see what happens. Probably nothing, but it will still be fun to make. <laughs> I love to see that. So speaking I mean, of, uh, you know, I love, I love your optimism about the marketing thing. I love your energy for that. That's really, that's really cool. I think for me, for it's a struggle for me because I'm not sure. Um, I have this fear of. I'm sure a lot of people do. Of you don't want to be annoying. Mm, I don't, don't have that problem. Right no, you don't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, but I, I get it. I get it. No, I it's it's reminding though, Tyler. You know? It's just reminding. That's all. And if if you know, I mean, what are you doing? I mean, you're just saying, hey, here's my book. That you know, I don't. You just got to keep asking. You know, you just really don't do. Pop up in the DMs. You know, just you know, yeah. little things. Just don't like 
I think we all know the do's and don'ts at this stage in our careers, you know. And yeah. I, I mean, I don't think it's so bad just to pop into Twitter and be like, hey, if anybody's looking for cold horror and it's, it's chilly outside, you know, this is it. How about it's, this? <laughs> it's social media, man. Just like, you know. You'll get a couple of retweets. Somebody will retweet it. Usually. Yeah. Mike, Mike will. Mike will retweet. I will. <laughs> I'll retweet it. Tyler, you write a tweet. And my like two people who follow will. <laughs> Well, I think there's some sort of like, uh, I don't remember where I heard this, but like, you know, if you want to reach people, you've got to post, uh, you know, something upwards of seven times within a given time period. So, you know, given the algorithms uh, and math and all that stuff I'm not good at, but it's, so, I mean, you might feel like you're annoying people, but there's a fair chance that the majority of people that uh, follow you or whatever if you repost something five times, they might only see it once or twice anyway. So, you know, mm. or and, not and at all. Or not at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so annoy away. Uh, Mike, I do have one follow-up to the spreadsheet thing. Uh, as far as some of the packages and services and whatnot that you tried out and, and you, you couldn't, maybe you're going off gut instinct on this one, but I wonder if you, could talk to 2019 Mike would you would you do more research into them or do you feel like there are some things like that out there that are just predatory looking to just take money from people looking to get their books on Amazon uh, I don't know I don't have like a super terrible regret I guess I mean other than the number <laughs> but <laughs> Like, like for the, for instance, the, the, your, uh, your first 10,000 readers subscription, which ended up being about for these 11 months, $472, but I think it was like 700 by the time it was all over. They taught me how to set up my website, how to uh, do giveaways and buy this King Sumo giveaway. Uh, what's it called? A plug-in. And now I can do a giveaway whenever I want. And Tyler and I did one together. Um, not sure how great they do. Uh, those, those were a lot of the money I spent too. I think I got a lot of attention, but I don't think like they'd cost me say like 275 bucks a whack to, to, to advertise on Facebook about it. And, um, I don't know, you guys know who I am. So I kind of feel like mission accomplished in that way, but it came at a price. That's the problem. So 2019, Mike, I would just, I, I wish I, I would just show them this page and I'd say, don't do that line and don't do that line and whatever. <laughs> but I mean, like Goodreads giveaways. I mean, I have a lot of reviews for the patients of a dead man. It's, it's like 191 on Amazon. Uh, it's more on Goodreads. Um, I did some, what do they call blog tours, you know, like anything to get reviews and stuff like that. And then you got to understand, you got to give yourself a break that you're learning, you know, like you're learning the do's and the don'ts, like, like anything. And, um, I'm, you know, it didn't, it didn't bankrupt me. I just looked at my savings account and I was like, oh shit, you know, like what the hell did I do? And, uh, you know, you just, it is what it is. I was into it. I, I tend to get obsessed on things. Like I used to try to play guitar i don't know if you can see that amplifier over here i haven't turned it on in years but 
um i would like buy this guitar and then you know oh this one's no good and sell it on ebay and buy another one and i probably i don't even know how much i slowly lost over time but i was just into it and that was my pleasure that was what i spent my money on and and now it's writing and getting the book out there and um i've definitely calmed down because i only have three books out they are only one story and now it's kind of like a regrouping time and i'm kind of like okay calm down let's the waters are calming and let's start over smarter that kind of a thing so you you pay for the what you learn i got a question about your uh the trilogy so you came out with an omnibus a year after the three were released and then you just came out with a hardcover edition um any regrets, any positive takeaways for kind of doing it in a short amount of time? Well, I can't tell you how many times I've gone back into Amazon and uploaded a new manuscript. And like, you know, like you're the one that you have is probably different than the one that, you know, is current today. And the one that's in this hardcover is is different right now if you bought the omnibus edition like i didn't want to pay to have that reformatted so that's still the old version of the first book so <laughs> I, these are all things that i wouldn't advertise and promote but um since you asked um it's just it's just it's a constant process of learning faking it till you make it kind of a thing improving on it um it was a. I, I felt like I, I needed to sit down and give this another shot because it was my first book and give it the four year uh, writer um, touch to it. And I think I cut a lot of words out. I mean, it, it, it and I didn't cut any scenes. So uh, it, it's just an ongoing learning process. And I don't really regret any of it except that you know you 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 need to learn how to fix your mistakes nice wonder and i don't want to put like sonora tyler on the spot i just don't have as much you know self-publishing experience but like i kind of wonder financially if you can get as successful doing like just focusing on social media don't paying for ads but just you know cross promotion promotions with you know top influencers if you could do everything and be and get like a part-time salary for writing without spending a, a ton of money. I mean, I think that's what most people want to know. And I, I, I think Shiver did well. And I had a, like a very small, teeny tiny budget <laughs> for marketing because I knew I didn't want to spend a lot. And I really focused on ways to like work with people and get the word out without spending a lot of money. And I just wonder like, can it be done? You know, like, can you make a living off of being a self-publisher? Do you have to spend a lot of money on marketing? I mean, I know you learned a lot and 17,000 is a lot, but you wouldn't spend that much now, but like, is it I, I, I couldn't do, I don't think I could be, you know, do that for a living now, but I do know that there are people that do, you know, mm-hmm. that some of the people in this horror community that do, um, I, I think Jason Brandt, does it he doesn't yeah that's that's all he does is write he's the 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 final guys the guy that does the final guys podcast um and um 
I don't know. There aren't too many that aren't working. I even Paul Tremblay's still teaching, right? You know, like we're all. We're I think all we're doing working. it for fun too. Like you don't have to give up your day job to write. You could still do it just for fun. I'm just curious. Like I know a lot of people that come to me and ask about self-publishing are always like, can you make a living off of it? And I mean, I don't have enough experience to say one way or the other. I know that you can't make a living off of indie publishing. I have experience with that for 10 years. But You know, um, <laughs> you know what I heard? I heard Brian Keene, and it might have been on this podcast. I don't know. But um, he said he makes about 60, 70 grand a year. Hey, nice. Yeah. I would take and, that. Yeah. I mean, you know, he has a huge catalog of, mm-hmm. of uh, you know, books. Uh, he lives in rural Pennsylvania. He's like, the, you know, you can you can uh, make a living, you know, on that. And, and he gets to stay home and write. So, I mean, he's got to be one of the, the leaders of this Twitter community, uh, horror community. Um, so that would use that as a benchmark, I would say. Did he say it on this one? I can't remember. I right. think he did. Yeah. I listened to his show so often at that period mm. where, I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, Sonora or Tyler, do you want to put in on that? Uh, otherwise, I've got a place to take us. I'll let Sonora go first. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of on the opposite end of Mike in that um, I don't purchase Amazon ads or keywords or um, anything like that. I, I actually try to do as little of the buying as possible because they always, you know, get you with like, you know, because the one of the things with that Facebook does, for instance, is the moment you buy, like, like you pay for views, they start hiding your stuff if you don't keep paying. So, um, and I don't know if Amazon does the same thing, but it just kind of puts people in a cycle. And I mean, you know, it's fine if people want to do that, but I try to avoid ones where I'm going to have to continuously pay. I try and focus more on, not only promoting myself via social media and well, I used to write a blog, but I don't do that as much anymore because I find I get more um, traction just tweeting or um, being on Instagram, but also reaching out and making personal connections with reviewers, querying, um, which, you know, is in itself like a small job. Like I'll, um, I'll, set aside some time to do that. I remember when I, the first book I offered up to reviewers ahead of its release, um, was without condition. And, um, one of the things that was very helpful there is I was in a, uh, group with other, uh, women authors. And that's where I met Erin Almahiri. And she put in a good word for me with the ladies of horror fiction. And so uh, that kind of helped, you know, me get in touch with them and and uh, get my book sent to them um, and kind of put my name, not at the top of their list or anything. I mean, but it, you know, it's like, here's someone who I, I hope you'll read her book. And so, and they did. And it was uh, through Lori, who uh, who's under Bark's books with uh, the ladies of horror fiction. She has that big list of people who are reviewing, which I like. Just remember going through that list and querying a bunch of people. Heard back I did from you. Yeah, no, it's it's a great resource. And then kind of just taking the slow but steady approach. I mean, I'll be honest, my numbers aren't amazing. Like you, you would not use my. Um, my figures to like 
sell those. I'm self-publishing and I earn a hundred thousand dollars a year and like 20 million people read my books. It's like, no, that is not the case. But I will say each book has done better than its predecessor. Um, I'm definitely at a place now and I got there pretty quickly thanks to marketing where it was more than just people in my immediate network that were purchasing it which was a nice feeling, you know, like when I published The Crow's Gift, I think on day one, I sold 11 copies. And, uh, you know, now at least I have like pre-orders, you know, that come in for stuff. Um, I definitely have books that have sold over 100 copies, not including the free copies given away. So, you know, it's like, I think sometimes I think with self-publishing and just publishing in general, people have to remember that the blockbuster authors we hear about like Stephen King, those aren't always the numbers that most authors will see, even if they have like the biggest backing and the biggest, you know, stuff behind it. Like you just think about how many books are put out every year, even in mainstream from mainstream publishers and mainstream bookstores. And so that's why ultimately, um, you know, I just try and take little approaches here and there. I mean, I'm not going to say I don't ever spend any money. I mean, when I ship books out to reviewers, that costs money. Or when I purchase author copies and sell them signed to people, that costs money. Um, I have done a Goodreads giveaway. I usually only do one. I've only done two for for each different book. Um and that's more just a way to kind of um, the value in that not, isn't just to get your book out there, but also it'll put your book on their shelves, even if they don't want a copy. So it kind of spreads your book and visibility mm. uh, just in case anyone's listening. That's kind of what the monetary value is there. In addition to getting your book out to people to read for free is that it puts it on people's shelves um, on their Goodreads. So um, but yeah, that's why I think ultimately, like, you know, promote your book, but remember that unless it's something that you feel comfortable investing in repeatedly, it's never going to be a one-time cost with the things like the ad buys and the keywords, like they're going to want it, you to keep coming back. So try and focus on um, the repeated marketing efforts that you're willing to do over and over again. Yeah, just to touch on that Amazon keywords and stuff one last thing like the the ads slowly die as the book you know as five million more books come out and bury yours in in obscurity so like i'm still i still have the same ads in place after canceling a bunch of stuff but i pay like whatever say 15 bucks a month or something so people are still clicking but you know it they there's a shelf life to those ads Tyler, anything to add? Yeah, I think that there, there's a complicated aspect to self-publishing is that there's no clear way to measure success other than whether or not you feel like you are accomplishing what you set out to accomplish. I think if you were published by a big five, you would probably have an awareness of all the, the, the sales numbers of other authors with that publishing house. And so there would be some metric. I... I don't know. I, I truly have no idea. All I know is this. I absolutely love writing. I, I, I need to do it. There are stories that I need to tell. And so for me, 
it is all about putting out a book that I believe in with all my heart and I wouldn't put it out otherwise. And I'm, I love that feeling and I want to tell more stories. I, I get paranoid that I don't have enough time to put out all the stories and books I want to put out. So it's the, it's an act of love and joy for me to do this. And so for me, my measure of success, um, I mean, in terms of like financially, how much money I put into it, the bulk of the money goes into um, the formatting. And um, if I get an editor and the cover, like to create this package that if it's on a shelf or I see it on Amazon, I, I feel proud of it. I feel like that's that was my book and I love the way it looks and I hope other people like it. So I, I think that you can, you can drive yourself mad by comparing yourself or your book to what other books have done because everything's so different, you know, like some books are some self-published or indie published books are lightning in a bottle, you know, who knows why they catch fire the way they do and, and spread. And if you tried to do everything that that author did the exact same way, you might not get the same result. So I think having joy in the process and man, I, like I, I got a, um, I got a letter from a reader yesterday, just a brief note. And I mean, it just warmed my heart. I love that stuff. I love it. it even if it's just a, a reader here or there, just to know that it's out there, that it means something to someone is awesome. And I, I feel, I mean, not to sound cheesy, but I actually, I feel truly humbled whenever somebody re- spends time reading my book. I feel enormously grateful. There are so many things that you could read. And you took the time and not only started my book, but you read it and you finished it. And then you reached out or you wrote a review. Like I am thrilled with that. So I'm learning to measure what I perceive to be success by that. Like, did it have the people who read what I put out enjoyed it? It, it seems, it seems so as best as I can tell. And that's awesome. I'm so I, Maybe that's sort of an inarticulate way of saying that's like, it It seems to be the only way that I can truly measure that in any way that's meaningful. You're young enough too, where you could come out, you could have a easily be like the next Josh Mallerman or something like that, where you could have 20 books, 30 books by the time you're 50 or something like that, and then have a catalog and one of them hits and then boom, they all, you know, mm. sales go up. Yeah. Well, and that's a good point is I, I tend to think too of, of like the books I'm putting out now as building something. I, I, I don't, um, I also don't expect any measure of success that I haven't earned yet. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm new. I just started publishing last year. Like I don't have this expectation that I'm, I should be something that I'm not right now. I think of it as every single book is building something. And that's kind of, that's exciting to me. I like that idea. Like I mean, next year I'm going to have more books out and it's building more. And it's, if, if you like one, maybe you'll like the other, hopefully. I think it's very uh, apt to that. You, you know, you didn't mention, you know, Netflix and Disney plus, but the fact that anybody's picking up our books and reading them is uh, that you, you, it's, it's, it is humbling. Uh, There is so much to do right now. There is, everybody is so busy uh, and to that, that a reader chooses to spend time with your book that they choose to start it and <laughs> finish it, you know, yeah. for, for take enjoyment out of the picture. Um, awesome it is that? a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, maybe, maybe cause I'm such a book guy. Like I do have a narrow focus. I don't watch a ton of movies. So like I'm 
so thrilled with books. I just, I, I, I love it. This, this is a, um, a Josh Mellerman tweet from earlier today. And I thought it was awesome. <clears throat> a second feature film based on my stuff started filming a couple days ago. I'm up North to do a reading with the love of my life at Interlochen. And I'm thinking of that me who wrote in a vacuum for 20 years, broke as Baroque, just as just grateful as can be. So if you, if you love writing and you got 20 years and who knows what you're going to come out with and you could be that, you know, they could yeah. be making movies and then you get a bump from That's all, it. all that work. Sean Cosby is another good example. He talks about it a lot that he was basically a laborer. Um, just, I don't know if he's, he was poor, but he wasn't rich. Uh, and now his books are winning, you name it, and his books winning the award last year and this year. Same and yeah. He's got film adaptations on the way for the first two that came out last year, Black Hot, Top Wasteland and Razor Blade Tears. So, yeah, uh, V. Castro, yeah, Sonora talked about her. She just had a, a two great, um, really big pu- publishing uh, contracts. Um She's, I don't know how long she's been at for, but she's been at for a while. It's pretty evident. You just never know. No, just keep doing what you love. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Tyler. Go ahead. To take it back to the, the music thing, I think that we've all fallen in love with an indie band and followed them throughout their career. And sometimes they break big. You know, and we get to say, I loved them back when. I loved them before they were popular. I still love them now, but I loved them then. Uh, And and then there are some bands that never break, but we still love them. You know, we love these indie bands that keep doing what they do, keep putting out the records, even though they're never going to get the radio airplay. They're never going to have, you know, be massive sellers, but we still love them because they keep doing what they do. And they keep giving us joy with their art that they obviously create with joy. And I think that there's two ways to look at that. You know, you can shoot big and then be disappointed if it doesn't happen. Or you can just think, I'm going to do what I do the best that I can do it. And just be grateful for whatever readers I'm I'm able to to share these stories with along the way. And if that means I'm someone's favorite indie band, (laughs) awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to talk about the uh, anthology that Nico and Sonora, you guys will be editing together. Um, so obviously, if you're self-publishing it, you don't have to cater to the whims of, you know, a publisher kind of uh, putting any pressure to bring on certain names, uh, cover art or anything like that, uh, or even uh, thematic material. So I, I would love to hear from both of you about your process. Uh in the beginnings of putting this thing together and, and sell it a little bit for us. (laughs) It's the best anthology that has ever been published. It will be published next year. I already know it's going to be number one. (laughs) Let's start there. All the awards, (laughs) all the awards, all the accolades coming our way. No, Um, I wanted to put out something fat positive. Anybody who follows me on any social media knows I'm 100% a fat positive person and I am 100% body positive. I'm 100% fat liberation. Everyone deserves respect and love and equality. And I am just, I'm a 
fat, beautiful woman in this world. <laughs> and I want other fat people to feel as beautiful and self-confident as I am. And so I'm so tired of fat representation or lack of representation in all media and in literature and how they are portrayed comedically or how they are instantly killed off or how it's just like the fat character is pushed off to the side and has no role. It, there's just not a lot of positive and there's not a lot of positive fat representation in horror. Um, and just like with Shiver, I had an idea. I wanted to see it. I couldn't find a lot out. And I was like, I want to do it, but I don't want to do it alone. I did it alone the first time. <laughs> And I want a partner. <laughs> and I knew Sonora shared in my views on being body positive. And I love Sonora's writing and she's fabulous. And so I approached her and I was very grateful <laughs> that she has come along for this journey. And so we are partners and it's going to be amazing. Um, and I hope everybody loves it. And I hope people are open to it, if nothing else. And I also, um, when is this episode going to be airing? The uh, 26th, uh, two Mondays from now. Uh, oh, November 26th. Okay, so those listening, we are accepting submission to Diet Riot, a fatter punk anthology through December 31st. So get those stories in because we want to read them. <laughs> yes, yes. And yeah, I was also... Uh, yeah, and I was excited when Nico approached me with that because I've spoken a lot on Twitter, not just about fat positivity and being comfortable in our skins, but um, especially in horror, just how I will read books that were written this year and they'll still use fatness as, a, as an equivalent to say someone's disgusting or sad. And I'm really tired of it. It's like, find something new. And um, and so when she came to me with this idea, I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And so um, I'm really excited to see what people are going to put together for this anthology. There seemed to be a lot of good response to to it when we announced it. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing the fiction people are going to submit to us. The 29th, uh, just to make sure that I didn't give you the wrong date. I okay. will say it doesn't have to be all like activism. You can just have a story with a fat character living life <laughs> and just being fat. Like, I mean, activism is fine too. Everyone knows that I'm very gung-ho about this issue. I'm just saying, you know, however you want to interpret it. And then um, we already have a cover. We already have an amazing, amazing cover that we've been advertising all over. Um, and I'm going to be doing editing. Sonora, you're going to be doing it with me. <laughs> you're very excited, I could tell. And uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think it's I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be something new. And um, I think it's going to open some conversations, some arguments, which are fine too. And uh, it will be great. Nice. Excellent. Congrats to you both for taking that on. Thanks. Thanks. Um, you know what, Brandon, why don't you lead us away, uh, lead us to the wrap-up session since... Uh... Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're past 11 on the East Coast, which is where most of us are now, and uh, uh, so I, I, I'm not going to keep you guys all night. Uh, so I, I want to kind of uh, give one more overlying question. You can tread familiar ground, or if there's something you haven't uh, said yet that you'd like to go down that route. Um, I'm, I'm, I want to hit each one of you for what do you think if, there, if there's somebody listening who is, has gone through an hour and a half of, you know, self-publishing stories at this point, 
What is the most important thing that you think somebody considering going this route should know? Um, Mike, let's start with you. Uh, I would just say be yourself. Go at your own pace. Don't rush anything. Um, I would also say that, you know, if, if, if you need this to be your, your first job, then it's probably not going to happen for a while. Um, you know, just don't rush it. Be yourself. Uh, if you like making the covers, make the cover. If you like coming up with a title, if you like, you know, um, putting flies in the, in the packages or whatever it is, you know, just find something, just be yourself and, and make this thing that you're going to put on your bookshelf. Um, totally you and don't rush it because you know it's not gonna it won't be you'll live to regret it kind of like what patrick was saying about his 2014 book never happened except on goodreads (laughs) i saw it on good is it the burlap bears yeah (laughs) such a cute name right (laughs) that actually yeah i mean that I don't mean this in a mean way. It sounds like a cute children's novel, like the adventures the of bears. bears. Mm. <laughs> That's fine. I'll say it's a compliment. It's, it's better than if you guys write it. So <laughs> let's just close this show. Just beating the crap out of Pat. How about that? Done that all day I'm joking. I'm joking. We, we've done that for 120 episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was tradition. I want Sonora yeah. <laughs> to be my new co-host because Nico picks on me. With you true. guys, uh, did it like five times. <laughs> <laughs> Only five times. <laughs> Mike, I do like that sentiment though. Is you know, make sure it's something that you're proud of. Uh, you know, a story that you need to tell, and don't rush it because you know you only get one debut. You only get one first. Uh, you or know, one, and, and, and one then, book. One, you know, one, even if it's your fifth book, to just don't don't think you have to rush to remain relevant. Mm-hmm. Nico, one thing you want to share? Just um, probably just be kind to yourself with this process, especially if it's your first time, you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. It'll be okay. It's This is books. It's fun. It's supposed to be fun <laughs> at the end of the day. So try to, try to enjoy it. Sonora. Um, if you don't mind, I have uh, just two main things I want to share, but I will make them sure. quick. It's not going to be like, you know, call me Ishmael. I self-published a book. <laughs> no, like, but the first is, you know, much as has been alluded to by Mike and Tyler and Nico and, and lots of people here online, write and publish the book for yourself first and then everyone else, because it is going to be largely the set, like, there, I don't want to say the only satisfaction is seeing having your book in your hands. It's not the only satisfaction, but like, don't go in with the goal of I'm going to be a rock star author with like 20 million fans right off the bat. Like, go in just like I'm writing this because I like to write. I like and and I like seeing. I like putting this book together, and I really because especially like you really do need to like that book because you are your marketing department. <laughs> so you're going to have to put a lot of love into that. And if you and if you don't like what you've written, well, I would ask why you want to self publish it. But yeah, you know that's a lot of times what people mean when they say write for you first because it is a very personal endeavor, and so you want to just take good care of that. 
And on the release end of it, the second point I want to add, and I think it's very important, is that if after you've had this book out, if you're not pleased with like how low the sales might be, or maybe the turnaround on reviews, uh, especially from independent bloggers, please do not complain about it online and especially not directly to the reviewers themselves. The latter is incredibly rude and the former at best just makes it look like you're carrying sour grapes. Like, I mean, I'm not saying don't ever complain. We don't have to all walk around like with sunshiny, happy faces, but it is noticeable. Like I definitely see authors who, who seem to complain more than anything else and, or think that they should be Stephen King already. And I'm like, I don't think you're writing for you, my friend. <laughs> so, and they're not reading either because they don't, I, that's a really good point because they yeah. like, I didn't have a TBR when I started writing. Yeah. And I wasn't pushy, but at the same time, now I have a TBR and I'm like, it ain't happening. You know, I, I I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read that book by, by, you know, next month. I'm buried like, like, like like they are. No, it's a lot. I mean, like I was recently reading a lot of books for blurbing and I was very honored and loved reading uh, these books to blurb ahead of time. But then when I sat down and realized I didn't have, I wasn't reading on a schedule. I'm like, oh, wow, this is like something I haven't done in a long time. And this was just me doing that for like three or four weeks. So yeah. I can only imagine what like the reviewers are, are going through. So, you know, just the reason I say don't complain about it online is not only because it's rude, but that is a a record like if you just really are feeling upset about something write it in your journal talk about it with a friend but keep it off your social media persona <laughs> like because because you, you don't want that to follow you around unless that's yeah. the personality you're trying to cultivate in which case i don't know <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah sonora I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because i think it's such a vital thing to know about self-promotion and we very nearly zoomed right by it. So, uh, you know, good on you for bringing that up. Uh, Tyler, I feel like you gave us a lot of, you know, really good stuff like five minutes ago for this question, but do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I, I actually, I'm so glad Sonora brought that up. I was going to say that if somebody was coming to me saying, Tyler, I'm going to, I'm going to self-publish a book. Um, I would caution them to be, to be aware of what kind of what kind of things you're posting online? Um, there, there are, and I hate to say this, there are books that I thought I wanted to read until the author um, turned me off from reading it. And that's just the sad truth. And it may be a great book, but I, I don't like negativity. I don't like complaining. I don't like subtweeting at people. There's lots of things. I don't like arrogance. There's, there's things out there that just make me not want to enter whatever world that person has created. Um, so something to be aware of, I, I would think, for anyone wanting to self-publish. And actually, Sonora, I had kind of the same <laughs> second point, which was <laughs> the, 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 be the best piece of writing advice I've ever received that means the most to me is write the book you want to read. So I would say publish the book that you want to read as well. It should be hand in hand. you got to believe in this thing, love this thing, believe that it, it deserves to exist and that it's a story that that other people hopefully will enjoy and so publish it in that way you know don't just put all the love into the the story itself but put love into how you're presenting it to the world to give it the best shot that it can have and i think if you're doing that it goes back to what you said doing it for you I, because it's an act of joy and love and, and wanting to share this story 
Um, yeah, those are the those are the two things that I would advise potential self-published authors. And and even just you know taking it up that next notch to be careful. Period. What you post online, because like we said earlier, there are a lot of great books out there. It's an honor to have a reader select yours and. If your book gets, you know, eliminated from contention before they even know what it's about because of the way you, you know, compose yourself uh, in, in on social media, that's a strike against you that you don't that that could have been avoided. So yeah, yeah. I think that's a great point. All you know, right, when, uh, I, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. When when writing, I, th- there's a mantra that runs through my head: is I, I do my absolute best to get out of the way of the story. I don't want to, to the writing to impede the story in any way. And I think that the same is true of writers on social media, that we have to be sure that we're not getting in the way of the book, having a life, get out of the way. Mm, definitely. Okay. I'm going to send it around just one last time to wrap this thing up and I'm going to give you all three points. So where can people follow you? Do you have anything you'd like people to check out? Anything new, anything old you want to promote? And if there are any final thoughts that, you know, you that we somehow didn't cover that you'd like to throw in, take it away. Uh, Nico, let's start with you. You can find me at Nico Bell Fiction on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can um, check out my latest short story, which is Skin Deep for Blood and Bone Anthology from Ghost Orchid. And I have a new book coming out in February called Beyond the Creek by DNT Publishers. Um, and thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very excited. I'm looking forward to my new severed arm with Chuck Palahniuk's uh, signature on it. Thank you, Tyler. And um, yeah, I hope uh, you guys have me back on. I always feel like you're never going to have me back on. <laughs> But, but I, keep I doing we... it. So yeah. No, we <laughs> love you. you. No, we love having you. <laughs> the last time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a threat. <laughs> I'm gonna go out on a severed limb and say that you'll be back. Hey. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Mike, how about you? Okay, you can find me at sleek.bio slash Michael Clark Books. Those what are all my Twitter that? links and all that stuff. It's sleek. Nice. Right. And um, I would like to promote my new hardcover, my first hardcover ever. This is a fresh 2021 edit of my first book, Patience of a Dead Man. I plan to go through the other ones as I can, but um, this is my baby. And uh, mom's getting a hardcover for Christmas. (laughs) So there's that. And then um, as far as advice for you know recapping the show and whatever if anybody ever wants to reach out to me and just you want a copy of this nightmare and i'll send it (laughs) to you and i'll tell you what not to do uh and what worked and what didn't and just hit me up awesome thank you mike as always a pleasure i think this is your third trip here uh yeah thank you be your last i appreciate it now you guys have been great yeah no we love having you on as well man uh sonora how about you uh, yes, so you can find me at my website, sonorawrites.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at sonorawrites or on Instagram at sonorataylor, though lately my Instagram has been more food than books, but um, I, I'm not great at bookstagram, but I am on there. 
And um, I'm also on Goodreads if you'd like to follow me on there. Uh, my latest release is my uh, fourth short story collection, Someone to Share My Nightmares. It's um, romantic horror or horrific romance, however you want to look at it in the story. Um, so I hope you'll pick that up. It's available in ebook, paperback, and hardcover as well. And um, yeah, I hope anyone listening to this um, gets some better ideas for what self-publishing is like. I know one of the things that was really helpful for me was reading other people's experiences as well as going to some classes and learning about what different people experience and then just finding and then taking all those little things and making it into my own thing. And I think that's the best way you can approach it. So, and you know, if you're listening and you ever want to ask me about it, feel free to, uh, to, uh, tweet me and I, you know, my, my tweets are open. So, um, you know, you, I'm always happy to answer people's questions. Awesome. And Sonora, I think this is your fourth time here. So you're, you're winning actually. Yes, that's right. I, I, I think after, Damn I think man. after I get my fifth hole in the punch card, I get to like take over. <laughs> you're like the Steve Martin. Uh, you like get a copy of the burlap line. bears. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I get to, I get to, I get to, I get to do a reading of it live. Oh, on. <laughs> oh, no. oh I can't wait. I can't Patrick, wait for that. This is your, um, this is your version of uh, the day the clown cried, the Jerry <laughs> Lewis movie <laughs> that he never wanted anyone to see. <laughs> I regret Jones. telling you that, Brennan, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you brought it up. You wanted to talk about your experience. So this is entirely on you. <laughs> yes, it is. As always. Tyler, go ahead, sir. <laughs> All right. Uh you can find me online at um, tylerjones.net on Twitter and Instagram at tjoneswriter. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I re-released my first two novellas in extended editions that have brand new novellas in them. So Criterium, The Dark Side of the Room. And then I compiled the new novellas from the extended editions into one volume called Enter Softly. And then uh, my first novel is out, Almost Ruth. So if you're so inclined and you like spooky stories, I'd be honored if you checked them out. That's out. That's out already. Almost Truth is out. It is out. It is out. And it is All excellent. Right, I, I got to hit you oh, up there. You, on that. <laughs> I will make a note. Listeners, thank you for joining us. Uh, everyone, Sonora, Mike, Tyler, Nico, thank you for being a part of this. Um, thank you. It's great to do episodes like this because you never know who or when. It could be years from now. Someone that is new starting out, uh, listen to this. I started in 2013 reading books, and I didn't really get into podcasts until a few years later. But if I was um, new and heard this episode, I, I feel like it gave me a lot of inspiration. So really appreciate you guys being on. Uh, Brennan, thank you for coming up with the idea, man. And uh Listeners, next uh, episode will be, we have one Spotlights episode left. That's with Kathy Koja. That's coming out early uh, December. Um, and then followed by our f- season two finale with uh, John Skip. And those dates are Kathy Koja's is December 2nd. Skip's is December 6th. And we're off for a month. So, Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for that. 
and uh, reach out to any of these authors um, if you are so inclined to buy their books. And as always, you have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking us. You are now leaving Deadhead Space.